Heavenly Father, uh, we uh, just thank you that we can come into your word. Thank you that we are freely able to study it and read it. We thank you um, that you are a God who works through your word, by your spirit, to change us for your glory, to bring us this, uh, the glorious news of who you are and all you've done for us in Christ. Uh, we pray that today, uh, as we look at these words of Jesus from uh, Matthew 6, that uh, we will take them to heart. Um, please change our hearts uh, at the very core level. Um, and transform us for your glory through them. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Do not store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, What you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are they not much more valuable than, are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you be worrying, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let me pray that I speak clearly and helpfully and that we can all listen and grow as we hear God's word. Okay, let let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you're a gracious God who speaks to us, a God who uh, kindly helps us really get a window into, into your heart, into heaven, and we pray that as we reflect on your word today that that'll be what happens. We get this, this window into the very mind and heart of the ruler and creator and father of the universe who cares for those he's created. So, Father, uh, be with us as we're stretched, as we're encouraged, as we're challenged, as we're comforted by your word this morning. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the part of the Bible we come to, Matthew chapter 6, three times Jesus says these words in this passage. Verse 25... Do not worry about your life. Verse 31, so do not worry. Verse 34, therefore do not worry. 
So when you hear that echoed three times, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, how do you feel? I'm worried, yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'm worried and I shouldn't be. You know, like it, it just seems to add to the problem in a way, doesn't it? Because there is so much to worry about. Right? Um, Dan was just talking about the worry in terms of finance. You know, that's an easy thing to worry about. Uh, many of us I know in this community have certain health issues that they're wrestling with. Uh, they are worrying sorts of things. Some of us have broken relationships with people and we're worried about the situation with them. Some of us don't have a job. We wish we did have a job. Some of us have a job. We're not sure if we're going to keep that job. Uh, some of us have businesses. Will they continue to survive? Uh, some of us are worried about their, our kids. Some of us are a bit older or worried about our parents. You know, like, it doesn't seem to matter at what stage you are in life. There are lots of things to be concerned about. And Jesus here says, don't worry. And Donald Trump is now the President of the United States. Everybody is worried, right? The whole world is worried. That's just the reality of life, isn't it? Is it an unrealistic expectation, given the complexity of our lives, to be told not to worry? It does seem like an enormous challenge, I think. Let me step back for a moment, for a moment from those, those instructions. Let's remember to put this... These, these words of Jesus, put them in their context to some, some degree. Matthew 5, 6 and 7 are what's called the Sermon of the Mount. They're, they're challenging words for people who count themselves as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're, they're words for disciples. At the heart of this sermon is what we commonly refer to as the Lord's Prayer. You pick it up in chapter 6, verses 9 to 15. Uh, here is the, the centre of the driving convictions and purpose in life that Jesus is referring to. It's the capacity to call the God who rules over the whole universe, my Father who is in heaven. My Father, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. After the Lord's Prayer, and in fact surrounding the Lord's Prayer, there are a series of do nots, uh, do nots. So you start off like we did last week at the beginning of chapter 6 of Matthew. Don't be a hypocrite. Do not be a hypocrite. Uh, Straight after the Lord's Prayer, verse 16, we have do not look miserable when you fast. still part of the instruction about hypocrisy. Then we get to verse 19 and we're told do not store up treasure on earth. We get to verse 25 and we're told do not worry. You get to chapter 7 verse 1 and Jesus says do not judge. Do not, do not, do not, do not, do not. The part we're looking at this morning uh, picks up on that idea of not storing up treasure on earth and not worrying. And those two instructions from verse 19 to the end of the chapter are actually, I think, linked together. So let's, uh, let's try and work through this and see, see how we go. So we get the, the top priority, if you like, from verses 19 to 24. Uh, don't store up treasure in this world, but rather store it up in heaven. Let me remind you what it says from verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. 
For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, essentially what Jesus is saying at this point is don't be a materialist. Don't make the stuff in this world your focus. And instead he's saying have a much more positive investment strategy. What you're to do is store up or to invest in heaven. And if you do that, the rust can't get at it, the vermin can't get at it, the moth can't get at it, inflation won't destroy it, the thieves can't steal it, uh, it's a much safer place to put your treasure. So how do you do that? How do you make that your focus? Well, Jesus goes on, verse 22. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eyes are healthy, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, they're bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. He's saying you need, you need right perspective on life in this world. It's the same sort of idea that gets echoed throughout uh, the scriptures. For example, in Psalm 119, the psalmist says, I will meditate on thy precepts and fix my eyes on thy ways. A life direction or a vision that's, that's preoccupied with the things of God, the things of eternal significance or importance. You can have that as your focus, or rather your focus, your, your vision can be preoccupied with stuff, issues, uh, locked in on transient concerns. That's the contrast. So Jesus says, so who do you serve? Who's the one you serve? Verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. In the ancient world, you could be master of more than one slave. That wasn't a problem. Uh, but what you couldn't be is a slave to more than one master. Right? It's the, the other way around. You, you were devoted to just one master. So as a Christian, as a disciple of Jesus, you can serve God, or, says Jesus, you can be materialist and be preoccupied with the world. God or the world. You can't do both. You see, Jesus is saying there must be exclusive heart commitment when it comes to following him. Now, when you hear those sort of strong words from Jesus, if you're like me as you work through this passage, you're thinking, you know, it doesn't seem this simple. <laughs> like, uh, life just seems more, more complicated. I mean, we live in a material world. We can't just sort of forget about stuff, can we? We can't just sort of uh, neglect it. And, and the issues just don't seem as black and white as Jesus seems to be saying them here. So how do I do it? How do I have this, this preoccupation with the things of God and not get sort of preoccupied with the things of the world? Well, fortunately, Jesus helps us. He takes us through how to do it, not by providing a set of rules to follow, or that might be convenient in some respects, but rather what he does is he helps explore the issues of the heart, you know, the, the centre of our existence that drive the way we think, the decisions that we make. So let me ask you this question. How would you know if your heart or your treasure was in heaven 
or it's actually tethered to the things of this world. How could you tell? How would you know if that's the case? Well, Jesus says, you work it, work it out if you think about what you worry about, what you have anxiety about. That'll give you a good read on what's important to you. Because in the end, worry is having a misplaced heart, a heart that's located in the wrong spot. And that's what Jesus explores with us in verses 25 through to 34. Three times in this section, Jesus says, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry, right? Clearly speaks to us. Now, let me step aside from that instruction just for a moment and talk about what Jesus is not talking about, all right? Uh, Just push some things out of the way before we explore it more carefully. Uh, There will be almost certainly a number of people who are sitting here today who have diagnosed anxiety issues uh, that, that you've, you've medically had uh, checked out and told it's a medical condition. And when I start to talk to you about don't worry, this is not particularly helpful to you at all at this point. All right? Can I say that is not what Jesus is talking about. You're not the person he's trying to identify in this passage. It is a wonderful thing that you can get treatment when you have that sort of anxiety difficulty and while the words of Jesus may, may actually be of help to you here because they give perspective, uh, he is not, not talking to you explicitly at this point. It's not directed towards you. Second thing I just want to push out of the way uh, or, or reflect on for a moment is uh, Jesus says, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Does that mean every form of worry is clearly wrong? Right? Now, it can't be the case... One of the reasons for that is because when you go to a place like um, uh, the book of Philippians in the New Testament, uh, Paul, the apostle, who speaks in chapter 4 of Philippians about having no anxiety or worry about anything, in chapter 2 talks about where it's appropriate to worry and actually legitimises worry at that point. At another point, Paul, the apostle, he talks about the fact that he has anxiety for all the churches. And he doesn't seem to be making any apologies at that point. So it's not saying all worry is wrong. It's saying you're meant to be concerned about the right things, not the wrong things. right? The right things, not the wrong things. The things of God, not the things of this world. That's what he's saying. Third thing is, when Jesus says don't worry, he's not saying give up your job, join a commune, and live off the doll, right? This is not a point that Jesus is advocating irresponsibility. You know, don't worry, be happy. Because I think some of us by nature go through life almost semi-comatose, you know, sort of it's just sort of all cruisy and relaxed and we make it up as we go along. And at this point, you might be thinking, I didn't realise it was so spiritual to be so relaxed. <laughs> it's not. All right? <laughs> it's not. That's not what Jesus is talking about at this point. Fourth thing is, and I'm sorry to have these, these riders, but I just want to push them to one side before we deal more with the passage. The fourth thing is, I don't think Jesus at this point is saying, you must never feel worried about anything. Because I, I can't imagine how that might even be humanly possible. Do you know what I mean? To even have worries that arise. 
I think what Jesus is saying, don't go on being worried about the wrong things. Don't continue in that worry, but rather allow the perspective that God gives us to deal with misplaced worry. Right? Don't keep on being worried. Deal with it in a godly sort of way. Okay? Four just sort of writers. Let me now push back into the passage. What Jesus is doing, he, he's focusing on what should or shouldn't occupy our concerns. Not the absence of worry, but what our focus is. Not on the temporary stuff, but the eternal. So what he does is he gives us an antidote to worry in this world, a right perspective. And you pick it up in verses 25 to 30. He gives this sort of sermon from nature. It's as if the birds and the plants preach to us, a bit like we heard in the kids' talk, the way in which nature uh, preaches God's care. Verse 25. Don't worry about what you eat or drink or what you wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothing. Now, in our world where if you watch television, you're sick to death of those MasterChef ads and, uh, you know, the My Kitchen Rules ad and the drama associated with cooking, you know, I'm, I'm driven nuts by that stuff, you know. But this is a timely word, I think, for those of us who worry about the ads even, right? It's just uh, totally distracting. We're in a world where we put throw out perfectly good wardrobe items because they're out of style. Right? You can see that's not my problem. Right? But yeah, I, I understand that this is, this is a common trait. Right? Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store in barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are not you much more valuable than they and it's just like the cartoon we saw beforehand. It's comical. It's meant to be. He meant to conjure up the picture of two sparrows in a tree on King William Street at 8.30 on a Monday morning. And they're sitting there, you know, looking down and saying, those guys, you know, look so stressed out of their brains going off to work, you know. And uh, the sparrow's just going, hmm, you know, life's good though, isn't it? And the second sparrow almost saying... Yeah, yeah, it, you'd almost think they don't have a heavenly father like we do. You know, it's, it's that sort of joke that's meant to be obvious to any of us who watch. Won't your heavenly father, won't he look after you? Verse 28, when it comes to clothes, the lilies of the field, they don't labour, they don't spin. You know, yet I tell you, not even Solomon... Yeah, the great rich king of the Old Testament. Not even Solomon was dressed like one of these. God feeds them. God clothes them. Won't your heavenly father, who cares for you so much more, look after you? Of course he will. When you worry about stuff... Do you really believe that God cares? Really? Have you forgotten that you're important and that you're loved by God? Really? But you know, you might say to me, yeah, it's all, it's all very well, Paul, but I'm not sure how real it is. You know, I was driving along to church today and uh, as I was driving along, a bird flew in front of my car, splat, 
dead on the side of the road. God didn't sort that out, did he? You know, dead bird, right? He says he cares for sparrows, didn't care for him this morning. You might say, you know, we live in the country, Paul, you city people, you just think, you know, plants grow in supermarkets, you know, but it's not like that, you know. Like, we, we live in a world where when the rain doesn't come, plants die. Uh, we've been through droughts out here in the country and God didn't reverse that, did he? Do you understand that, that Jesus is not stupid, right? I know you don't think Jesus is stupid, but, but it's not as if Jesus doesn't know that birds die or plants die. Right? He is a student of nature and well aware that that is the reality. Jesus is not saying that you won't die. He knows you will. That's the reality. But what he is saying here is that there is more to life than this life. And he's trying to highlight that reality. Verse 32. The pagans... They run after and worry about all these things. See, pagans, that is, non-believers in God, by definition, are materialists. It's all about this world, this life, what you can see, taste, touch and feel. That is the reality. In fact, I read a story that really brought home to me the reality of materialism. Not just, you know, what you wear and what you eat, but the, the world view that is materialistic. There's a man whose wife had died. She was in her 30s, leaving behind a young primary school-aged daughter. And at the funeral, this man, who was an atheist, uh, jumped up and gave the eulogy. And he explained that his, I think it was an eight-year-old daughter, had said to him, where is mummy now? And this man explained to the congregation gathered for the funeral, uh, he explained that what he said to his daughter was, mummy doesn't exist anymore. Now, I've not heard a better definition of materialism in a long time than that one. The reality that this is all there is, all there is, nothing more. Friends, God has ordained the years of our lives. Verse 27. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Literally, the word being used here is a single cubit to his life. We don't use the word much these days, but cubit was a measurement of about 18 inches. It's an interesting idea, isn't it? Who of you, by worrying, can add 18 inches to his life? And do you understand the point being made? Who of you, by worrying, can add a half step to your existence? You can't. God rules over your life, and he knows. Your life will not take, your death will not take God by surprise, because he's determined the length of your life. That's the reality. And we need to believe it's true. Dr Brian Hardman used to be the principal of the Bible College of South Australia. And I, I don't know that you'd describe Brian as the most pastorally or sensitive of men, right? He was uh, 
Reasonably straightforward sort of a guy. I remember observing him out in the yard having a conversation with a woman who'd been going through chemotherapy and uh, treatment for cancer for a number of years. And at different points, looked like she was going to die, not, yes, no, no, you know, quite a long time. And she was talking to Brian. I'll call her Betty. And uh, she said, said to Brian, you know, I'm really worried about this next dose of treatment I'm going in for. Not sure how it's going to go, you know. And Brian said it roughly in this voice and uh, in this demeanour. He said, Betty, you will not die one moment before God determines or one moment afterwards. Right? Now, I didn't, I didn't think his pastoral sensitivity was high on the radar at that point. You know, like it may not have been the way in which I would have done it, I don't think. But it, it actually seemed to do the trick, you know. It, it brought home the truth of reality. And you might say to me, Paul, you just don't understand my troubles or my concerns. You know, I'm not worried about food and I'm not worried about clothing. But I do have significant questions over my health and whether I'll be able to care for myself or my diminishing capacity in terms of my mental abilities or just the concern about whether I can pay those bills and the implications for those I care for or ageing parents who started to get dementia and I, I just don't know if I'm going to even be able to cope with trying to provide support for them because it's such a difficult situation. But in the end... Isn't that what materialism is in the end? Isn't it the, the short-term view that life is all about life in this world and those issues just crowd in upon us and drown us? Jesus, friends, he is pushing back. He is pushing back. He's saying, do you believe you have a Father in heaven? who rules the world and cares for you. Do you believe that that is the case? When you believe that, then you can begin to make your focus on investing in the things that really do matter, that count for eternity. And that's the point that Jesus makes towards the end of this section. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness And all these things will be given to you as well. Be concerned about what endures for eternity. Not so much about what lasts in this world. Now friends, let me just wrap this up in a few ways. Um, Can I say this this word of Jesus, it's a timely word for those of us who worry, who are prone to being worriers. Uh, You might be someone who worries about lots of things, many things, constant things. Understand that Jesus is not saying don't plan or don't act. He's not saying that. But what he is saying is do not assume the mantle of the creator of the universe. Don't put yourself in the position of God. In other words, don't live as a Christian atheist. I know it's a contradiction of terms, uh, 
But that's the issue that Jesus is attacking. That is, having a theoretical belief in God, yes, 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 but in practice, living as if you have to do all the worrying and the heavy lifting. Right? Do you understand? That's practical atheism. To actually hold to one truth and not put it into practice on the other side. So let me ask you, what do you worry about? What is it that uh, you wake up in the middle of the night uh, stirred by or agitated by? Or what's the thing that you wake up in the morning which is primarily on your radar at that moment? Friends, we're not to stress over things that those who have no Heavenly Father stress about. That is the point. How do you do that? Uh, You do keep reading the Word of God because it seems to me that um, we live in a world where just by nature we'll interact with people who have a world view that this world is all there is. And if you're not going to have that view, don't you need need the God of the universe to speak speak into this world and into your heart and into your life. I find the only way I get my, my brain and my heart recalibrated is by allowing God, who rules over it all, to keep reshaping the way in which I think. Because by nature, I'd be a materialist, as I take it all of us would, <laughs> because that is the natural way to function. We need someone who speaks from outside into our lives. So keep, keep doing that. And that's the way you keep adopting the perspective of God when you confront tricky issues or difficult issues. And sometimes those are hard things to work out. Uh, I may have told you before, but one of our kids had chronic fatigue from about the age of 16 to 20, 26 in a major way. And when he came down with that chronic fatigue, uh, at his worst, he couldn't get off, off his bed. And I remember um, thinking at the time and praying consistently, God, make him better. God, make him better. God, make him better. And it just wasn't happening. And thinking, what on earth is God doing here? Remember that, that son interviewed once he was getting through the chronic fatigue. Uh, so it might have been, say, six or seven years through uh, that, that illness. And being asked at a conference when he could stand up and give answers about how he felt about having that illness for so long as a young man, mid-teens, full of sport, full of activity, full of people, full of life, all stripped away, how he felt about it. He said, you know, at this point, I would not have wanted God to not let me be sick with chronic fatigue. And I'm sitting there thinking, why not? <laughs> you know, because as a father, I would have preferred it. You know, like That's the way I felt. Um, and then he explained how he had learnt so much about his relationship with God and what was important through being taken through that illness and the way God had addressed certain personal issues in his life that he needed to work out and grow through. I thought, that's right. You see, I... I needed the eternal perspective on his illness, not the materialistic perspective. It wasn't a bad thing for, to want him to be well. Don't get me wrong, I'll pray for that. 
But understand that the most important thing that could happen in that son's life was that God shaped him more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And I needed to grasp hold of that and believe it. And I take it there are lots of issues like that for us in life. We have to keep seeing the Heavenly Father and his hand on our lives. Friends, it's a timely word for all of us, I think. Especially those of us who worry. But it's also a good general word for us to think about as we reflect on life in this world. Uh, I don't know the future you face, and I don't know its uncertainties or the challenges that you have in your life right now. But we're not to worry like people who do not see what counts for eternity. This came home really strongly to me when I caught up with uh, Steph, who's one of our gospel partners serving overseas. Towards the end of last year, so Steph, for those of you who don't know her, um, in her 30s, single woman, extraordinarily capable, working in Central Asia in a terribly difficult context, came back on furlough at the end of last year, was unwell, series of tests, discovered that she had uh, cancer in the abdominal area. Initially, they thought probably it would be able to be treated quite well. At this point, uh, they've given her somewhere between six and nine months to live at this stage. Right? Uh, a woman who, passionate about serving Jesus, gone into a tough situation, raises all sorts of questions. Uh, soon I got to sit with her and talk and pray with her the night before a major operation that actually highlighted the fact that the situation was much worse than anyone had thought to that point in time. And as we talked with her, uh, she told us a story about when she was in Central Asia, the man who was her driver, he contracted a similar sort of cancer and had died. She said, by comparison with me, has been able to come back to Australia where I have the best possible medical treatment, probably on the face of the planet, for dealing with this sort of issue. And she said, do you know, do you know the difference between that man my local driver back in Central Asia, and me. She has nothing to do with our medical treatment. Here's the thing that we need to remember. She said he died without having a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, whereas I have a clear relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ and whether I live or whether I die I am his for all eternity when I heard that I thought that is the window of God uh, opening up so he can speak into our lives when we um, began this church a few years ago Our goal was not to set up a church uh, for the convenience of people who wanted a particular sort of ministry. Uh, That was not the goal. There are a number of Christian churches doing great ministry in this South Coast region to reach out with the gospel. Do you understand the reason there's a need for more churches and more people gathering together is because Victor Harbour in the South Coast region 
are full of people who do not have a relationship with their Heavenly Father who rules the universe. And we need to keep that reality before us as a people, knowing that in the end, that eternal perspective is the one we need to keep in mind as we live as journeymen, as journey people in this world, knowing that we serve the Heavenly Father who cares for us, who's reached out to us. Jesus says, don't worry about what the unbelieving world worries about. He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things they will be given to you as well. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Let me pray for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do. We thank you that, that Jesus speaks with this uh, clear, articulated love and generosity, and yet sharply. Uh, Father, we thank you that um, he just doesn't play hold hands and, and wander through the woods. Uh, but rather Jesus, because of his great care for us, speaks truly uh, to our natural tendency to live for the things of this world, uh, to live for our studies, to live for our work, uh, to live for our, uh, the things we acquire. Uh, Father, we know that they're all good things that you've given to us in this world. We're not uh, against enjoying the, the blessings of living in a, a culture that has an abundance of good things. And yet, Father, we pray that our preoccupation will be with the eternal things that are from your hand so that we might love and serve and honour you in this world. And Father, we know that our tendency is to worry and often it's to worry about stuff that we shouldn't actually dwell on. And Father, we pray that you will help us to be concerned about the things that concern you, knowing you've taken care of it all from, from the start to the finish. So, Father, we graciously entrust ourselves to you. We entrust uh, the people in the South Coast region to you. We ask that you and your kindness will reveal your generosity and love to them. Uh, Father, we pray uh, that we'll be servants of yours and that gospel in our love for others and in our care for one another as we anticipate dwelling with you for all eternity. Father, we pray these things in the name of your precious Son, Jesus. Amen.